Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My name is Brenton Ford, and my guest today is one of the top 10 master swimmers of all time. She's multiple world record holder in all four strokes um, in master's competitions. Welcome, Carolyn Pipes, to the podcast. Thank you for being on here. Hey, thanks, Breton. Aloha. You're over there in Kona, Hawaii. We originally uh, we got our dates wrong when we were looking to set up this podcast because uh, it's always confusing when you're looking to change time zones and days and everything. But I'm glad we got to meet to meet virtually here on uh, on Skype for the podcast because um, I mean you've got such a huge experience in the pool, um, but even more than that, you've got a, a really fascinating story which you've written about um, in your book called The Do Over. Can you uh, tell the um, the listeners, just a little bit about that the book and how it came about, and um, I guess sort of what your your story is when it comes to uh, to swimming. Yeah, oh, thank you. Um, yeah, the book was released in November. It's a self published book, and and I worked with a swimmer writer named Tito Morales to co create it, and uh, it's the do over my journey from the depths of addiction to world champion swimmer, and and that that pretty much sums up the circuitous route that I took to become inducted into the Swimming Hall of Fame last year. And it just um, it takes the reader into an aquatic journey into the swimmer's, a swimmer's life that on the surface would appear quite charmed and, and easy. And yet uh, underneath the surface, I struggled and almost died. And so I'm very, very grateful to be here. And thanks for having me on the show. Well, I've had a um, uh, a friend of mine who's gone through a, a similar thing with uh, alcohol addiction um, many years ago, and he he sort of replaced that addiction with exercise, fitness, and ultimately swimming. And um, and now he's on a huge weight loss journey, and he's um, just completely turned his life around from a from a very similar sort of situation. So, um, you, you know, and as you said, no one really knows your story. Um, well, they didn't at least until till last year. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, what you know, was there something that sparked or, or triggered inside your mind to think, oh, okay, I've got to to share this uh, with the world because um, you know maybe it will help other people, or or this is something that I, I really want to do. Where did it sort of come from? Well, it, the the writing of the book had been kind of in the back of my mind for for quite a few years. People told me that I had a great story, and I you know I thought I, I had a great comeback story, and and I got a chance to do it over. I mean, I started out as an elite swimmer when I was in my teens. I went to college. I kind of self destructed in college, and then for the next ten, eleven years, I pretty much drank just about every day straight. And part of the reason why I drank was uh, because I had all this potential. I was coached by two-time Olympic gold medalist Mike Troy, and he saw a lot of promise and potential in me. And living up to that expectation, I just I just couldn't manage it. And uh, I, my mom also had expectations and other people, and it seemed like the more I was pushed, the more I rebelled against it. And uh, it really kind of backfired on me. So my 20s were spent pretty much just... Uh, 
wallowing in self-pity. I did make a, a comeback at age 25, broke my first master's world record in the 400 medley, swam almost a lifetime best and came within a couple seconds of qualifying for the Olympic trials. And at that point, uh, when I was 25, I thought, well, I'm going to try and do this over. I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to rededicate myself. And uh, the whole thing just blew up. And I just continued to drink it even more. And so that's that continued uh, that spiral continued uh, for about another six years until 31 when I kind of got knocked on the head by my mom <laughs> and got into a rehab. And so it's it's interesting, Brenton. So much um, I love the water, but it was the source of both the pleasure and the pain in my life. Pleasure, I love swimming. The pain, I never met my potential. I never even came close to what I was capable of doing as a teenager. And that really weighted very heavily on me. So um, I acted out in different ways and very unhealthy ways. So your your friend uh, probably has gone through that same journey. Most people that have been down the road that your friend and I have been down, we've been to hell. We know what it's like. We don't want to go back there. So we're grateful to just be alive. Mm. And was it, how did you let that, those thoughts go? The The thoughts of um, not living up to what you thought you could do in the pool or, or whether it was the pressure from, um, from the expectations of what you could achieve. How did you just let go of those thoughts to then get back in the pool and I guess just enjoy it and you know, go on to achieve what you have achieved? Oh, you know, you actually bring up a, a very interesting and uh, enlightening part of the book. Uh, I've just gotten out of uh, rehab, and I go to this beautiful 50-meter pool in Coronado. It's where the Navy SEALs train. It's a 10-lane 50-meter by 25-meter pool. And I've swum in this pool hundreds of times, and mostly probably drunk. And uh, I'm standing there now, a sober woman, and I'm staring at the, this expanse of this pool. And there's like maybe one other person in the entire pool. And I, I'm about ready to jump in, and, and I can't. And I'm like, it's almost like there was this, gosh, this, this arm holding me back. And I stood on the side of the pool, and I looked at that water, and I said, what is going on? You want to swim, don't you? And I started having this dialogue. And my inner voice said, yeah, you want to swim? It's like, well, it, it needs to be different. And my other voice said, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, if you never accomplish anything in your, you know, in your swimming, are you going to be okay with that? And I said, well, yeah. Well, if you never swim faster than a two-minute, 100-meter freestyle, are you going to be okay with that? Yeah. And then I thought, well, if you never break a record, never win a medal, never do anything, are you going to be okay with just being a swimmer? And I, I could say yes to all of those things. And, and with that, I, I dove in. And I tell you, it was probably one of the most ecstatic uh spiritual 50 freestyles I've ever swam, the water just wrapped its arms around me and just made me feel so much at home and so welcome and, you know, just back in the fold. And, and I was so unhealthy at that point that I could barely swim more than like 400 meters before I was just completely spent. But the next day I came back and I swam like maybe five or six. And the next day I came back and I swam seven or eight. And, and I just kind of just slowly let the water heal me and bring me back to health. And so it really, I mean, it, it, it saved my life when I was younger and it saved my life as a, an adult as well. Yeah. And I mean, I've sort of spoken about this on a podcast a few times, but I, I really feel that success in swimming doesn't necessarily come down to you know, the number of medals you win, the number of records you break, but 
how much you enjoy being in the water. There's no point being mm-hmm. a 12 year old, 13 year old kid who, who hates going to the pool because they're, they're pushed to, to that point. You know, you want to be the, the person who's a lifelong swimmer and loves Absolutely. swimming up until, you know, up until the very end. So, um, you know, just kind of like you, you spoke about there is you, you, you're able to let the results and, and the pressure and the expectations go and just love being in the water, which, um, you know, as, as a swimmer, as, um, as someone who's been in the, the water their whole life, it's just there's something special about being in the water, whether that's the pool or in the open water. And, I mean, you live in, in Kona and, you know, in one of the most beautiful places in the world, and so you've kind of got that on, on your doorstep. So was it – what was the decision to move there? Where did that come from? <laughs> if, well, you, Aside from wanting to live in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well – uh, the for the exact reasons that you just said, uh, we moved here for the water. It sounds really crazy, but uh, I was a beach lifeguard for many years, and and Southern California water is not very warm, and it's certainly not very clear. And uh, uh, my ex husband and I uh, had been trying to have kids, and and that dream had drifted away. And it was like, well, what do we do now? And we said, well, why don't we move to Kona? And my mom was retiring and it was like, okay, so we'll just move to Kona. And the water was what really drew me here. It's probably, I've traveled a great deal. I've swum in some really beautiful places, but nothing beats the water in Kona. It just is amazing. Like I I posted on Facebook swimming with an eagle ray today that was probably had a, a wingspan of like eight feet. It was just so magical. And I was swimming with two friends, Amy and Robin, and uh, we just stop. Whenever we see something really cool, we just stop. We're not working hard. We're just swimming for pure enjoyment. And, you know, we happen to probably swim like 35, you know, three and a half K or something like that. But it just goes by like nothing. So the water. So Kona was was uh, was hit for the water. Mm. And uh, it's such an attraction. I mean, I, I could never see myself living too far away from the ocean. It's just uh, there's something that sort of pulls me to it. And, um, you know, if I ever spend more than a couple of days away from it, uh, so it's, my life sort of feels out of balance. So the fact that you can live so close to it there um, and swim and just, just for pure enjoyment, that's really something special. It, you know, it really is. And, and one of the neatest things is being a, an accomplished swimmer is that, you know, I can go to places around the world and I can say, yeah, I can swim there. And I do pay attention and I try and be safe and don't do anything dangerous. But really, it is amazing some of the places you can swim. And it's just so freeing to be able to say, I can swim there, I can swim there, I can go there. And I actually have met people here in Hawaii that never swim. And I, and I would think that would be extremely claustrophobic. I mean, the island fever. Because when I swim in the ocean, that water is connected to all other bodies of water. So instead of being disconnected from the world, you're actually more connected because that liquid gold that we're swimming through is is just all connected. So you feel it. And we have really happy water with lots of fish, dolphins, turtles, whales. You just never know what you're going to literally bump into when you go out for a swim. Just even on the Ironman course, the dolphins are there just about every day. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's great. It's, and that's the uh, great thing about traveling too, when you get to travel around the world. And if you're lucky enough to be um, you know, somewhere near the ocean and just looking at the location and thinking, okay, where, where can I swim here? I mean, on my honeymoon a couple of years ago, we were in Croatia and I got to swim there and then in Ooh, Greece. And it's just, yeah. like, it's just spectacular. And then in Turkey a few years ago on, uh, on a swim trek. So it's, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I find the best holidays. Uh, I'm, all, I'm always looking for the nearest pool or the nearest ocean to uh, <laughs> yeah. to swim. It's uh, it, it kind of ties into um, we're talking talking about this before the call, but um, reaching an elite level in in nearly any sport requires some sort of addictive personality. So, can you talk a little bit to that and um, and how you see that um, relating to high performance? That's a great question. You know, with the Olympics going on and we're watching these, uh, you know, elite high performance athletes get up on the blocks and you just realize that, you know, what you're seeing right there is just the tip of the iceberg of what it takes to actually get there. Just, just, you know, you think about it. It's like, you know, Brent, and you go down to the, the local swim squad, right? And you see a couple hundred kids in the water and you think out of those couple hundred kids, well, like you're, you went to, you were, you competed at the national level. And you think about how small it was for you to get there and then to take it even further and start competing, you know, on the international level and then the Olympics, you realize it's a very small group of people. And what sets, you know, kids apart? Sometimes it's um, having something to prove. They actually have low self-esteem. And uh, when they get in and compete, it bolsters their self-esteem. Maybe they have problems at home. And uh, for me, when I was a little kid, I was growing up in a large family, five kids. My dad was an active alcoholic. My mom was working and uh, she was, you know, barely keeping the family alive. And I didn't get much attention and I certainly didn't get much, uh, you know, acceptance or, you know, applause. And boy, when I went to my first swimming lessons and I saw my instructors as they just, you know, cheered me on and told me how well I was doing. It just made me want to do more. You know, I just kind of fed on that, on that acceptance and that acknowledgement. And I think that, uh, you know, as a kid, you can kind of feed on that and, and get that that you you're not getting at home and you can look at michael phelps's story he's got you know his dad mom divorced and he had some pretty uh disconnected years where he was not close to his dad and he's just uh reconciled with him and that's really kind of cool but you know when michael phelps it, if you look back at his old, uh, you know, when he finishes, what, you know, Brenton, tell me, when Michael Fini- Phelps finishes a race, like in 2012, 2008, picture his face. What does it look like? Um, just sheer joy and... Um, joy? Well, Anger. He hits the wall. Now, now it's joy. Now it's like there's a whole new swimmer. But picture him in 12 or, or 2008 slamming his hand on the water, like in a really like take that world. Mm. I'm something, you know. And uh, if you look back, you'll notice that. And But we're seeing a whole different Michael Phelps now. And it's really, really cool because he's put to rest his demons. Mm-hmm. And now he's swimming for his family. He's swimming for the enjoyment. He knows that he's going out this time. So he's turned it around. He, and he's done that. We went to a 45-day rehab. He's done that by, you know, kind of coming to terms with his past. Well, so, and, and we're recording this on the, uh, the day that he just won the Turner Butterfly. Yeah, the, the Olympics, four 100s. And, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. And, and then he won in the 4 by 2 as well. He won another gold medal. And uh, and just seeing him up on the blocks there for the two hundred butterfly, like he was, he, he had tears running down his face. He was um, really showing a lot of emotion, which uh huh, um, yeah. It's just a very yeah. different different person. Um, and I, I I don't know if that comes from maturity and, and age and, and experience, or you know, 
and you know maybe he's just, he's found that different driver which you know it might be his family it might be just looking to to maybe still prove a point but uh, in a different way i think he's really sort of turned it around yeah, yeah I, um he he's done that because he has shared his humanness. So for years, the only thing that the public saw was the machine and the gold medal machine and that, that idea of perfection. And the problem was, is and he, he clearly talked about this in his ESPN interview, he, he wasn't perfect He and he didn't feel perfect. And living up to that expectation was killing him. And what did he do? He, he drank, he smoked pot. Uh, he did all kinds of things, and and you know if if we we're if you're getting caught doing those things, that means that that's the tip of the iceberg too, because you're doing it a heck of a lot more. They say that by the time you get caught for a DUI, you've driv- driven drunk 86 times. Really? Wow. That's a, yeah. That's a statistic, you know statistic. So, but if my hats off to Michael Phelps. I I can honestly say I was during the trials. It was like there was a gag on talking about his past and talking about the past two years. And then that ESPN uh, interview came out, and it was like my heart melted because here is a guy who reached out. He shared his secrets with the world, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a man that's been liber- liberated from his demons, and now he's able to perform for the sheer enjoyment and for his team and for his country and and that's truly inspiring i mean think about it two years ago he was a public relations nightmare and now he is a public relations dream but he did that he did the work and that's you know that's what people do need to do with addictions is it's an inside job nobody else can want it for them and you have to do the work. You have to, you got to look at your body and realize that there's, you know, there's wounds and scars and all that kind of stuff. And you got to rip off those scabs and you got to get to what caused them, start medicating them, and then they can heal. And if you don't, they just, you just turn out to be just a scabby uh, shell of a human being that's living in fear of everybody knowing your secrets. Since you've written the book and uh, and become a lot more public with your story, have you had people in similar situations come to you and you know, maybe share their their story of overcoming addiction, or have you seen people who are still in that phase and they're looking for help? Has that um, has that happened to you as yeah, a result of the book? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I was predicting that that would happen. People, when you share vulnerability, you give other people permission to be vulnerable as well. And my book is so raw and honest, it, and it's it. And there's so many different characters. Whether you were the child of an alcoholic, or whether you're married to an alcoholic, or it, just there's so many people, so many characters that are relatable. It could be you, it could be anybody else that that uh, you go, oh my gosh, I've felt that before. And so by me opening myself up, I allow other people to do the same thing. And, and self-revelation is never easy, but it is so well worth it because now I realize that that this is liberating because I don't have shame in regards to the poor choices and decisions I made along my way, which there are numerous. I don't feel good about them. I wish sometimes I could undo them, but I can't. But I don't, I've let go of the shame. And that's the thing is, is uh, shame will continue to feed addictions because you just can't live with yourself. And the best way to uh, not think about it is to anesthetize and medicate. And so whether that's with alcohol, drugs, or even exercise, as we were talking about, exercise can be a really wonderful way to help yourself heal, but it can also turn into another addiction 
that becomes your drug. Mm. And, and once you do become honest about yourself and, and your past and uh, that, you know, that's when you can really start to change things. You know, I sort of yeah. think, you sort of think about the uh, people who might be going through that now or um, even people who can let their ego get in the way of, um, I guess, communication. So, you know, you've got uh, someone who you, you can't connect with fully because you can tell there's something behind the, something behind their words that they're not sharing and they're not comfortable yeah. with. It, it really comes across in conver- conversation. So, you know, once you do it, accept it and you know, that's when you can really start to, to move on. I, to- I totally agree. And, and that was the thing about writing the book. There was a period of time when the book had stalled. It was going through some other edits. And I'm trying to figure out, my goodness, why, what is the meaning behind all of this? Because, you know, we wanted to launch in June. Then we wanted to launch in September. Then finally it turned out to be November. And I realized I was terrified because, I mean, all of my secrets are out. And now um, I just it's one thing. I mean, I I have a fiance and uh, there were some parts of my life that I didn't really want to tell him about. So I had him read the book, but I didn't let him read the book until it was actually published. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good way to make sure you get the book out first because you don't want that uh, doubt in your head, do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, and it was it's really funny. I'd let everybody else kind of read it, but not <laughs> him. And and part of that was disclosure. You know, you want to you don't want to tell have somebody like swallow your entire story and then know everything about you. You kind of like to portion, you know, portion it out. Mm. But uh but it but um, you know, my hats off again to Michael Phelps for being real and showing the world uh, a real human being, not just a machine. And to anybody else that is, you know, possibly struggling you know, there's just a couple of questions you can ask yourself is, is that, uh, is this become an obsession that you can't live without? Uh, if somebody withholds it from you, are you really angry? And, uh, is it, is it causing problems in your life? You know, your job, your marriage, your relationships with your family, all those kinds of things. If you can say yes to that, and that could be you know, drugs and alcohol, and it can also be exercise. But you might want to take a look at uh, the reason why you're running. You know, what's what's making you run from what's really bothering you? Mm. One of the things I run a, uh, a a yearly camp in Thailand at um, Tanyapura Sports Resort. Oh yeah, we call it the Hawaii um, Camp. And uh, and one of the things we do on you know, the second day is um, we basically just look at why people swim. So we have people um, just really look deep down inside themselves and, and look at, okay, why, why am I here? You know, what, what's yeah. caused me to, uh, to come along to Hellwick? And then, okay, what's that reason? Then what's the real reason behind that? You know, do I want to, am I looking for a sense of adventure and I really want to push myself? Is there, is there, am I trying to prove somebody wrong? You know, just look, look behind that. Mm. It's kind of that second layer of, um, of your reason why. And then, Getting in touch with that can help you then just, um, I guess, in, enjoy your swimming a lot more and um, and just identify that, that the real reason that, that you're doing things and um, you know just I, th- I think when you, you can get in touch with yourself in, in that way, that's when your uh, life can become a whole lot more enjoyable and so can your sport. And you may not be as driven when you find that that sort of second layer of your reason why. Like if if you're looking to prove someone wrong, if someone said you can't do that or you know, maybe your parents said you're no good uh-huh. and you want to prove them wrong, that might be more of a motivation than um, 
uh, you know, than, than another reason, but, um, but it's more about your overall happiness, I think, than, uh, than the overall success of your, um, your swimming or, or your sport. I, I totally agree with that because, you know, swimming, it's by nature, especially in a, in a swimming pool, is it's like a sensory deprivation tank, right? Mm. You're swimming laps around a small bathtub and everything is measured, uh, measured in distance and time and effort. There's judgment going on. You judge yourself. The clock, ju- you know, the clock's telling you a time. Your coach is asking you to do things. It's a very pressure-filled situation. And, and really, it's no wonder why swimmers are known for being pretty big partiers outside of the pool and uh so you look at that kind of whole thing and you really it it really is a a fantastic thing for you to do that at that camp because for them to actually really start seeing is what why am i here what what is my purpose and and i think that's a in a life scheme what am i here for what is my purpose and for me for a long lot of years i really thought that my purpose was to show that older women can keep swimming fast cuz in my 40s i was getting even faster than 35 to 39 and 30 to 34 and that's because i changed my technique to more of an australian i followed uh, you know the the thorpe and hackett early catch you know early vertical forearm catch and i immediately got faster in my 40s you know i was a game changer but um you know now I realize that all that, that those records and all those things give me the platform to be heard on a much more meaningful topic, which is, you know, how do you have your best life and how do you let go of the things that hold you back, whether it's limiting, limiting beliefs, old tapes that play in your head, uh, somebody else that criticizes and is critical of you that just tears you up. It's just letting those things go and, and trying to, to live your best life. And, and my goal, I found out, my, my mission statement is boiled down to this. I just hope that I can make or help people become a little bit happier. Mm. And that, whether that's improving their swimming technique and getting faster, or if that's letting go of uh, expectations surrounding performance, or, you know, maybe it's, you know, getting into a rehab and, and turning their life around, or just just something that means more than just a time on a on a chalkboard you know mm, absolutely so. it's um i mean I, i'm very similar in in that respect is you know, when i was younger i used to like in primary school um there was a few kids in class who were no good at maths and so i helped them with their maths and i just really i got a kick out of helping them sort of see more from themselves and what they they thought they could do um and mm. just sort of helping them them that way and um and it's kind of gone on to that with with coaching is i love just being able to help people realize more potential in themselves and and get more out of themselves and um and just get more enjoyment out of swimming and um and help them see success that they um may not have been able to just just on their own so like you just helping people be a little bit happier um you know improve as a a person a little bit more and uh and that's what kind of makes me feel really good um, so I think we're really lucky as swim coaches to be able to, uh, to do that and, and be in that position where you can, can help people and, and give back. And, you know, that's, that's, what's most, most rewarding, I think is, yeah, it's, it's great to have those achievements as, as an athlete, but as a coach, you kind of get a, a different, uh, sense of, um, satisfaction, I think from it. 
Yeah, and you've had some great awards too. I mean, like Coach of the Year, and I mean, you transitioned really beautifully from being an all-star national swimmer to Coach of the Year and coaching masters. And you know, the neat thing about coaching adults versus children is that you know, when you coach an adult, you're you're getting the, everything. You're getting the person that drove them to pra- themselves to practice, the one that wants to be there, that's paying the fees to participate. You know, whereas a kid mom's driving them they might not want to be there and they're certainly not paying for it so it's really it's really neat to be able to coach the whole package because you know adults they have limited time and if they're there they really want to make the most of it and that is fantastic that you're able to help them follow their dreams and and i'm sure you've seen it with these people that have had these life-changing experiences in from becoming athletic again Mm. or just to begin with you know it's like a whole new life well, it's amazing the number of master swimmers that I see who can get faster as they get older. With, oh, yeah. with an improvement in technique, uh, a change in sometimes diet, and change in their strength and conditioning, uh, and I, I guess a better understanding of what helps them perform. And you know, similar to, to yourself, they just um, – you know they're also quite astounded at, at, at what's possible when you've really put in the the effort and the time and the dedication and, and even people who have swum when they were um, were younger you know they they can still beat their times as a as a teenager they can still beat it late into their thirties sometimes early forties yep. and so on you know it is possible. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the master swimming is the ultimate do-over. And, you know, we all are blessed with the opportunity to have that do-over if we choose to. Or, you know, somebody that, that, that always wanted to be on the swim team but wasn't for some reason or another. They, I, I meet 50-year-old women that just started out, and they are just so tickled. And, and you know that, that that time in the water influences every single aspect of their life. They feel better about themselves. They feel better about their body. They have higher self-esteem. They have better relationships. They have better relationships with themselves because they're actually doing something that makes themselves feel so good. So I think that the best drug, and this is coming from an addict, but the very best drug I've ever had in my entire life is swimming. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> couldn't agree more <laughs> yeah. yeah and you mentioned and you mentioned technique you know and that te- changing technique is huge because uh, there are a lot of different philosophies out there and and uh you finding something that works for you is probably the best suggestion that i could make yeah and i mean i think we're probably in sim- pretty similar um uh, camps in that you know there's no one technique for for everyone there's there's no one swim technique that um, that is going to help everyone swim faster. It's about finding what works for you. And I mean, there are a lot of, you know, you've got the fundamentals of, of swimming and you, you want to get those down pat, but then there are variations among those right. you know, those styles of freestyle that, that might suit someone who's taller, who's, who's a bit bigger and wider. It, you know, it really comes down to the individual. Um, mm-hmm. So, so for, for you, I mean, with your, your swim clinics and when you're teaching someone, what are some of the, the core fundamentals that you like to, to teach and how do you go about teaching them? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I call them symptoms and diseases. So I think that most of the time when people are looking at technique, they are seeing the symptom and they're trying to fix the symptom. And my philosophy is you have to go after the disease. Now, to give you a little bit of background about my experience, it's funny, I didn't really start coaching until I was in my 30s. 
But then I realized that I've actually been a swimming technique coach since I was 15 because I would swim so beautifully that parents would approach me at swim meets to have them work with their kids. So I never taught learn to swim. I always taught technique. So it's kind of neat that I'm still doing that. And my dad was a band teacher, and he was a very gifted teacher, even though he was had his struggles with alcoholism. But I think I got that gene from him is that teaching gene. But uh, I have an endless pool at my house, and it is by far the most influential piece of equipment that I've ever used in my life when it comes to swimming technique. And the things that I've learned in an endless pool, a scientific environment, have completely shocked me because what I've come to understand is when you're watching somebody swim, you really don't know what's going on. It looks like one thing, but it actually could be something completely different. And so, for instance, when you're watching freestylers at the Olympic Olympics and you're watching their hand as it drifts back towards their thigh. Most people will assume that that it means that they're pushing, but the reality of it is is there's no way that they could keep up that cadence and that stroke rate if they went any further past uh, from a pole, they they quit before they get to any kind of a push. So one of the biggest things that I find is most athletes are taught to push at the back of the stroke, and that goes with the old S-pole, a skull out, a slide in, and a push back. And that probably more so than anything else is the most detrimental. And whenever I have people compare and contrast in the endless pool, when they push at the back, the hand gets stuck, they lose their balance, the lead arm drifts in, and then you start to collapse and fall on your hips, and then your feet scissor out. So if you just eliminate the push in a pull, you actually get a lot more lift. And it's pretty amazing. I I use a lot of bike analogies because I work with so many triathletes. But think about if you spent your entire day, regardless of the conditions, wind and hills, in your big chain ring and your hardest gear, that's kind of like what pushing is in the back of your stroke. There's a lot of power, but it's not appropriate to use. You know, unless you're heading downhill. So so it's kind of a weird one. But most people are going, really, you don't push at the back? It's like, yes, there's a ton of power. I will agree to that. A pull with a push, ton of power. The but, the however, is your paddle gets stuck. You lose momentum. Your hand can't recover quickly enough. And the arm that's leading out in front has to counterbalance by drifting in. Otherwise, you're about ready to capsize. So it creates this kind of domino effect. And so when I get people to try that versus a longer pole, they're just shocked. I've had people stop and, I mean, pro triathletes look at me and go, oh my gosh, that's cheating. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> so, so you can forget about the back half of your stroke. And then what you do is you move that to the front in the form of a very big reach. So I always like to say, reach big, pull short. Reach big, pull short. Mm. And, uh, and then, I'm oh, sorry, you got Go ahead. Oh, and then, and then you also want to be quick in the back. If you can't get your hand out quickly... And then into the front, which is going to be long, so you've got a bit of a glide. So it's quick in the back, long in the front, reach big, pull short. Quick in the back, long in the front, reach big, pull short. Um, You know, when you think about a good runner, and so say some runners running past you happens all the time, what do you notice when they're fast? You see their feet kicking up really quickly, Mm. right? So that's the same thing with a good swimmer. You see their hand exiting really quickly. So there's two phases, how much energy you push down, but more importantly, how quickly you can get out of what you've just done. 
And uh, if you look at the fast swimmers, they're not pushing they're only pulling and they're able to get out of that pull and into the recovery to begin it again so if you watch if you watch the the olympics you'll see that and now you'll look at it with a practice eye you're going to go oh my goodness you're right katie ledecky her elbow is already into the recovery and her hand is is still or forearm is still vertical but the hand will keep drifting down towards the thigh but there's no more power behind it Mm. so it's kind of it's kind of like paddling a canoe you know so yeah it's pretty amazing that's yeah that's a great point uh i mean we do a lot a lot of video analysis um and one of the angles we film is from the top and Mm -hmm. you know above the swimmer and you you see that is with the the extension out the front a lot of swimmers they come across the head it's probably one of the most common things we see is is they're reaching forward they come across the head and the arm out front isn't straight it's still bent so they're not getting that full extension and that full reach um, so just, you know, you're not getting as much from your stroke as you could, but they're finishing, a lot of times they're finishing really down deep um, yeah. at their hips. So they're actually sort of coming up towards the hip from in the water as opposed to pressing back past it. Um, and that comes from trying to get too much out of the back of the stroke. And um, I mean, it's, I think it's a, something that coaches, at least in the past, have taught a lot is you want to push back a lot past your hip because you want to really finish off the stroke. But right. that's... You know, it, it will throw that that alignment out and that balance, and most of the power it's from it's from the front of the stroke. So get that right, and the the rest will follow. So that's um that's a really good um uh thing that you've you've spotted, and and I I can say I relate with with the number of sort of triathletes and and master swimmers I see. That's really one of the most common things that, uh, yeah, that pops and- up. Yeah, you know, and and we got we have to go back and we have to look at where does that push come from, and it it does it comes it's back with the old S pole and an S pole the top part you slid out you couldn't put power there you slid in you couldn't put power there so we were only accessing power when our hand was in a straight line which was from midpoint back with a tricep push. And so that is like a leftover from an old stroke. And people say, well, you know, if you miss out, you're missing out on all this power. It's like, yeah, but swimming is a compromise. You, you'll you get that power and then you'll surge forward. And people love to feel that surge forward as the water hits them and they feel like they're moving through water. Well, the only reason why they feel that surge is because before the surge, they slowed down. You wouldn't feel a surge if you were steady and even rate of speed. So the better you get in swimming, the less you feel. Mm. Well, we, and that's, yeah, tailwind riding, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, uh, I mean, I've, I've been working with the, the Melbourne Fiber Grade in the uh, the last couple of months. And um, most of those guys haven't swum too much. There's a few really good swimmers, but most of those guys haven't really swum a whole lot. Um, but working with their marine guys and um, probably half of them, uh, sort of pulling, uh, they're not allowing themselves that reach and extension out front. So yeah. they they think that it's faster to, as soon as that hand enters the water, you've got to pull through. They're, they're missing the, the reach and extension. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to think that you actually do want to reach that hand and extend it forward in the water. You'd think it would be slower. Uh, but like you were saying, like it, that gives you that travel and that distance forward. Um, and that's when you really start to feel your stroke come together when you start to get that, that timing and, and that part of the stroke out the front. When that starts to come together, that's when it starts to feel a whole lot easier. Right. And so 
like I was saying, is we're not shortening the pull up, like shortening the back and shortening the front. We're just moving it forward. So you have like front wheel drive. And the other thing, too, is a big complaint with triathletes is that their hips sink. Well, I was filming a, a really top collegiate swimmer, and I do contrast. I have my swimmers go back and forth between wide and narrow, shorter and longer, and then flatter swimming and rolling. And, and in every case, the shorter, flatter, wider is always faster than the rolling, longer um, stroke. But I was watching this, this collegiate swimmer, and as soon as he went to the longer pole, his hips started sinking, and I was like, Wow, I didn't really realize that. And now you think about it. Okay, so say we're canoeing and you put your paddle in and you let your paddle go back way too far. Obviously, now the paddle's stuck. It's going to take quite a bit to get it out. The boat's going to start drifting in that direction because you've got an anchor there. And now that you're slowing down, the boat is settling and lowering itself in the water. Mm. And that's exactly what happens. So so a lot of times people will push their head down to get their hips up, which activates your neck muscles. And now you don't get your lats for power. But the biggest thing is you don't you lose all that lift. And so now your hips are sinking and your legs are in survival mode. They're having to kick to keep you alive. And uh, if you just shortened up that pole and and extended more on the reach, you'd put that front back into the stroke instead of being in the middle to the back. It's really amazing in about an hour in my endless pool how quickly people make change. And there's mirrors on the bottom, and we're filming, and we're analyzing. But it's a partnership. I'm, I'm taking them along on this journey as we get rid of all the potential things that they might even hear in the future that would contradict what we just learned. And mm. so I never tell them to swim a certain way. I let them choose. And it's, it's really fascinating to see, watch them get it. And then they're like, oh, I would never go back to that old way again. You know, they might <laughs> when they get tired. But, but it, it's really cool. And, you know, it's funny, Brett, you said reach. All right. So it's always been called a reach. Don't you remember your parents calling it a reach when they taught swimming? Yeah. Okay. So why did, how did we get spearing and slide your hand in the mailbox? <laughs> you know, so yeah, let's put our hand into 800 times more resistant water when we could be going through the air. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's pretty funny how swimming has evolved and it's actually come back to a more primitive way of swimming, like, uh, water polo, uh, watermen, surfers, paddlers, canoers, intuitively you would swim like this. And so it's pretty neat. The difference is the head should be neutral and relaxed and there is that glide and that reach and extend at the front. Mm. That, I think you've put it really, really well. I mean, uh, um, we, we teach very similar things um, in the, the freestyle clinics we run here in Australia. And, uh, uh, but I, I love hearing a different way of explaining things and a, and a different perspective. So that's, um, that's really, really useful. And I mean, the, the endless pools, I was in uh, Boulder with um, another swim coach, a friend of mine, Annie Jones. And, uh, oh, she, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's great, isn't she? Um, she's been on the, the podcast a few times before too. And um, yeah, she put me in the endless pool and a uh, really good tool for just being able to make those, those adjustments really quickly and get that feedback really quickly as well. So it's, um, yeah, just, it's just a, a great tool. How long have you had that in your backyard for? 
Oh, I did a sponsorship deal with them back in like 2005. And uh, it is just awesome. It's super easy to maintain. I can go away for six weeks, just have somebody drop some chlorine in it and, you know, once a week and it's good to go. And it really is phenomenal. And we get so many visitors to the big island and people come over here specifically just to work with me. And then, of course, during Ironman, we, I get people that are taking lessons right up until the day before the race. And some people would say that's crazy. And I'm like, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, you know, two or three big things to work on. You know, maybe it's your... That, you're swimming crooked and we can clearly see that every time you breathe to the right, your left hand is hooking in and it's sending you right. So you just have to think lopsided left and you got plenty of time to think about it. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you can, you can deploy some of the things we worked on and, and if that helps you go faster, that's great. And if you forget everything, well, you still have the same stroke that you came with. They yeah. got you there, right? <laughs> you're, not, you're not really going to go backwards, are you? You're not going to go backwards, and at the at the very least, you'll go, stay neutral, and yeah. and you'll have something you think about, and and then of course you can always work on it afterwards. But it, it's 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 a really amazing when you you see the light bulbs go on in people's head, and and uh, I do a lot of videoing, and I'm putting commentary on each clip. I don't just say what they're doing and what's wrong with it. I say why they'd want to change it, how they're going to change it, and what it's going to feel like. Because you got to give it to them for like five different angles and then mm. people have those videos for a lifetime yeah you know? so they don't have to remember what i said they're just going to hear my voice for the next 10 years <laughs> yeah that's that's it i mean it's you know you come along to to video analysis or a clinic and um and you get all this information and you know it, it really all it boils down to is maybe two or at most three aspects of your stroke that may need adjusting um, yeah. but you know, you, you get all this information. So that's what the, you know, the, the recorded analysis with your voiceover, um, that makes a huge difference. So people can go back and, and watch it. And I mean, I upload with our clinics, I upload all the videos with the, the voiceovers and stuff. And I can see how many times those videos have been played and oh, yeah. very few <laughs> times is there a video that's been played only once. It's, you know, it's <laughs> five, six, seven times that people are going back and watching it, which is great. You know, that's what you want. And that's how you're going to, to get those improvements. Yeah, I made it even simpler. I just film people on their phone and hand it right back to them. I, I suggest they get the Coach's Eye app and uh, they show up with plenty of space and I take their phone and, and if we need to, we can augment it. I can see underwater from above. So And, you know, the beauty of the analyst pool is they're staying right there. So if they're breaking their wrist on their catch, I can say, look, you're breaking your wrist. You can see it over and over and over again. And then we draw awareness to that. And, and really, you know, what we're doing is we're not teaching people to swim because clearly they know how to swim. We're teaching self-awareness. What are you doing and why are you doing it? And what could you do differently? And why would you want to do that? You know? So it's a whole whole athlete coach thing rather than just do it because Carlin, it works for Carlin. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's, uh, you know, how can you self-coach? You know, how can you teach those athletes to, to become their own coaches when they're, um, when they're in the water? Absolutely. And you know what? It's, it's a lifetime sport. So you really do have a lifetime to get it right. And I find myself breaking my wrist on my right side and sweeping under on my left side at a broken wrist and all kinds of little things like that. So it's, you know, I'm always working on something. Oh, and you know what? I was watching Katie Ledecky. Notice how when she breathes to the right, how, how very pronounced her left catches. So she's breathing and she's going right to that high elbow left catch. And uh, I could be wrong on the, on the, but whatever it is, the opposite arm. Did you notice that at all when she was swimming? I didn't get to watch her today. Um, so yeah. no, I haven't, haven't seen it. 
So, well, I saw it in the 400. It is super pronounced, but it's really very interesting. So this is a this is a higher tech tip for people. But after the extension, if you're taking a breath, you see this all the time, Brett, and people's arms fall. They collapse, right? Mm. So the way to fix that is pull very short when you breathe. Sounds crazy, but you don't want the paddle to go back so far that you lose your balance. But what Katie's doing is after her extension, she goes right into that high elbow catch and she's able to really swivel her hip and throw her arm into her next pull. Mm. And it's, it's, a, it's like a lever. It's, a, it's an anchor lever shift. And uh, but but I'm also thinking that people that are not very good at, with a high elbow catch might be prone to injury. So be careful. Internal rotation is something that could happen. But but that really is a super effective way to kind of snap her hips around into the next catch. Actually, I was coaching on uh, on Monday night, and um, one of my swimmers came up to me and said, oh, "She's got such a such a a, me- a messy stroke." Um, <laughs> and uh, I said, "Well, it, it, it does look that way compared to." Um, you know, compared to some of the other swimmers, but it's, it is just, she's just so technically spot on, um, particularly below the water and, and her turnover and her rhythm is just, um, it's so beautiful to watch. Um, so it's just, it's funny, I guess, coming from the perspective of someone who, who's not a swimmer, um, or a yeah. coach, they, they see it as there's a lot of splash as a high turnover. She's not a pretty swimmer. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because I actually purposely tell my swimmers to swim ugly. Yeah, because you don't doesn't matter what your arm looks like in the recovery. It's a recovery. It should be relaxed. It should be loose. And in my analyst pool, a big reaching or almost straight arm, not stiff, but just a big reaching. Like think instead of high elbow recovery, think high hand recovery as mm. you're coming out to that reach. It's fifteen to twenty percent faster. When I have people go from their normal reach, which you know maybe is just coming in above their head, not really close, but just a normal reach, and then I have them reach say a half a meter or a little bit less wider and further out but don't add any length to the pole as soon as they do that bigger reach they climb on top of the motor and i have to turn them up about 15 (laughs) percent and then i use a noodle to communicate with you so i hit you on the head with a noodle so i hit you a second time and that's your cue to go back to the smaller reach stroke that you were just doing but now you're in a new speed and when you do that you get pushed back and then they'll go back to the bigger arm reach, kind of that kind of gorilla stroke and all in the front. And it's back to being fast. And they go, wow, that is so much faster. So mm. some ugly, ugly. Look, it works for Katie. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And I mean, you even look at uh, Sun Yang in that 200 freestyle. I think a lot of people, they look back to Ian Thorpe or Sun Yang in that 1500 a couple of years ago when he broke the world record. And they go, yeah. that's how I should be swimming. But Look to today in that turn of freestyle, he wasn't swimming anything like he did in that fifteen hundred. He's much faster stroke rate, um, you know, a very different stroke. He he's just wasn't as, as long and as, as smooth, so to speak, as he as he was in that fifteen hundred. So it's uh, yeah, I think the the idea of what the perfect stroke is is a little bit warped in in many people's minds, and they need to know that it is okay to to swim ugly, get the stroke rate up, especially if you're swimming open water. You know, you're going to be a lot more balanced in the water when you've got that that wider entry and reach and you know you're not going to be a victim in the water <laughs> yeah exactly i like to say swing and fling um you know if you 
and we probably need to wrap up here pretty soon, but, you know, if you are so overly concerned about having a high elbow recovery in the air, mm. and then you have to straighten out, and then you've got to bend underwater, and then straighten out, and then bend above water, and bend and straighten, bend and straighten, bend, pretty soon a bend is going to give way, and most likely it's going to be in the part of your stroke. So you're going to be emphasizing a high elbow recovery, and you're going to be pulling with a straight arm. It's way better to bend on the catch and swing the arm in the recovery. So I always say bend, swing, bend, swing, like butterfly, you know, catch and then get the heck out. Mm. You know, the longer you go back, the more you're going to pay for it. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's a good ex- uh, explanation of it because uh, I, see, I see that happen a lot with swimmers who recover very close to the body with the hand, really high uh-huh. elbow, like you know, trying to swim like a, um, the ideal swimmer they end up being you know, really straight out front and then they find it hard to get that bend in the pull through. They go down really deep and uh, it just kind of throws, whatever, whatever it is, it throws off that balance and they can't maintain that, you know, the bend, the straightening, the bend, the straightening. So um, really good analogy to, to use. Yeah, bend, swing. And, you know, what happens too with that straight arm pull is if you go, your hand is inside the shoulder line, it tracks straight down or it slides out. But most often people slide straight down. Mm. Then you're, you're holding on to some really hard water with a straight arm. It puts a lot of pressure on your shoulder. So the brain says, you're hurting me. And so the brain says, well, let's take the pressure off. And then you break the wrist. So now you have a broken paddle. And your, your elbow's buried. There's no way you're going to get a high elbow catch because your elbow's, you know, half a meter underwater. And now you're going to get a late catch, a long pull, over-rotate, and the whole system repeats itself. So it's kind of this whole chain reaction. So starting a little wider, setting the catch sooner, getting the pet catch earlier, letting go, and then letting that arm be loose on the recovery, whatever it looks like, is way more efficient and a lot easier on your shoulders. Yeah. So and yeah, efficient and faster. So bend and swing. And I have I have a pretty good uh, video on my website at aquaticedge.org. Uh, me just swimming back and forth for like five minutes to some c- cool music. And and uh, when you watch that and you go, wow, she just doesn't even look like she's going very fast. And everybody goes, oh, you're so pretty. And then <laughs> the last bit, it goes above, and you can see my straight arms. And, and then people are like, huh? but but then you watch it when they're swimming when it actually stops in you know going from freeze frame to to actual swimming and it looks pretty normal Mm. and uh, if people do watch that video i want you to know that i am pressing to my chest and relaxing and releasing however my hand still travels back to my thigh but my elbow's already into the recovery and that's how you know that you've already let go of the power a lot earlier so that's what i meant earlier in the interview i said uh, what it looks like and what's actually happening are two different things Mm. yep yep definitely and that's one thing you do pick up as you uh um, you know, with, with the number of, um, video, video analysis, uh, sessions that I've had and, and, and that you would have had, it's, um, you really get to learn about these little changes in the stroke and how they affect different parts of the body. And, um, and that's when you get a really good grasp of it. Um, yeah. Oh, Hey, you're a breaststroker, right? Uh, I have, yeah, I have been. And then I sort of turned to medley and then now for, well, free, more open water freestyle well, now, but okay. I was as a youngster. Yeah. Okay, so I got to ask you: Have you been watching the breaststroke kick? Uh, I have a little bit. Yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, it's a dolphin kick with your feet turned out. 
<laughs> Swear to God, watch the guys. The the kick is so minuscule, it is not even funny. And the pole, even though from underwater it looks like it's a fuller pole, those things, those guys are going around an ice cream bowl, you know, a small mm-hmm. ice cream bowl. It's all about getting the hands out and the legs not creating more drag than necessary so they can get in that stretched out position. But if, if you watch Patey and just look at his rapid turnover, little pole, almost no kick and then and he's just shooting forward it's it's fascinating to watch that evolution and and a couple years ago i can't remember who predicted it but he said that was going to be the the new wave of the future yeah, was right. high turn high turnover small pull small kick and just go 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 yeah well you, you i mean looking at that that hundred breaststroke his turnover was just that little bit more than everyone else and such a he's kind of moving through the water as you would in butterfly almost like the body yep. undulating in a way yep yeah, just, yeah. So, yeah, just, um, I mean, he broke his own world record by 0.4 of a second in 100. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> it does not happen. <laughs> At the Olympics, no less. Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, you know, so so breaststroke is a perfect example of of technique. You can do a bigger pull and a bigger kick, but what's going to happen is all that power is actually going to, it'll send you forward and then, and then you'll come to a stop. So it's not what you do. It's, you know, how well you can, like, it's not how much you do. It's how little you can get caught. And that really is the, the compromise of swimming. You could have a longer pole. You could roll more. You could do all these things. But sometimes the more you do, the less you get and the harder you work. Yeah. Well, I say that and a lot in the kick. effortless swimming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I say that a lot in um, uh, swimmers who, with, with their kick, they're trying to kick they're trying to get the propulsion from their legs and not from their arms and they're kicking big and wide and it's just slowing them down. They're just creating too much extra drag with that really large kick. So for, especially a lot of triathletes, if you haven't got that ankle flexibility, kick is just, it's mostly balance rhythm and and timing. It is not for propulsion. Mm So um, I, I tell a lot of athletes to kick with the legs what they they might actually feel like they're straight you know that they're not going to bend a whole lot through the knees just keep it like you're almost kicking in a bucket keep it very narrow and yeah. um, and just allow it to set your rhythm and your timing and it's uh, it's for no more than than that i always say floppy feet mm. yeah but you know a lot of times brenton when you see a big kick like that that could be the symptom we look up the line and you see that they're over-rotating and their hands coming into center and they're losing their balance and the feet's just scissoring out to counterbalance. Mm. So you're looking at the symptom. If you just try and say, watch your kick, it's going to be almost impossible. If you fix it up in the front alignment, the back alignment comes together and then the kick, like you said, if you're not a great kicker, at least it's not hurting you. But uh, that kick, the scissor, can actually be a huge survival technique uh to keep your stroke on it you know, on your chest because if you don't do something you could actually flip over it doesn't happen very often but i've seen it yes yeah. <laughs> so, especially you know on a breath they rotate too far on the breath and mm. and they collapse on that lead arm and then the feet scissor out to counterbalance for that it's not the feet's fault it's what's going on up at the top part that's creating the reaction in the back and so you fix the front, get it wider, don't roll so much, just gently rock, and you set up that power in the front, then the legs all of a sudden, wow, the job's kind of taken away, and they can just kind of hang back there and just add the timing, like you said, and tempo. And hmm. uh, yeah, so yeah, symptoms and diseases, we look at what causes things rather than just what, what we're seeing. Yeah, that's, uh, 
That's a really good way of putting it. And and you've got a lot of uh, a lot of things coming up. So you've got a, a bit of a tour happening and some uh, some speaking gigs you've got. So do, can you talk a little bit about that and uh, and where you'll be? Yeah, well, I'm heading to California. I've got some workshops in uh, Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area, Sacramento, and uh, Tascadero. And then I'm heading over to Bahrain, where I work with the Bahrain Tri Club and the Royal Family. And I give private lessons to the Bahrain Royal Family, which is really cool. And uh, we've added on Oman to this trip. So if you happen to be in the Middle East, come on over to, to Bahrain and take one of my workshops. And then, of course, Ironman. If you're heading over or you know somebody that's coming over to Ironman, sign up for a lesson with me in my endless pool. It will change your life and uh, just blow you away. So it's really kind. You know John Newsom, right, and the Kiwi guys from down under the I Am Talk. Do you yeah. know those guys? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they they do Epic Camp, and I, I, I do get a chance to work with a lot of their Epic Campers and and uh, the ladies' Epic Camp and all that stuff. So I'm really blessed to get some some great pro triathletes in here. Uh, I um, just love helping people figure it out mm. and love giving people the tools to continue to improve. And, and then I tell people, this is not rocket science and this is not meant to be kept a secret. Go home and share this information. I don't care. My goal is <laughs> to just help as many people as you can and, uh, and, and just, you know, get stoked on swimming and, and, and know that there is actually an easy way to do a fast stroke. And I'd like to share that with you. Yeah, fantastic. And where can people find you um, to listen to the podcast? Where's the best place to get in touch? Oh, I've got two websites. I've got carlinpipes.com, and then uh, which is kind of more motivational speaking, and um, but also has a lot of information on uh, some biographical information and private lessons. And then also aquaticedge.org, and there is a ton of content on there because I wrote for Swimming World magazine for about five years, and I wrote a column called The Pool's Edge. And so I wrote a lot on technique, training, motivation, and miscellaneous cool stuff. So there's there's about probably 25, 30 articles on there. And my method and my methodology is to keep it simple, to it's it, just make it understandable for the average person. Paddle your body like a surfboard, swim over the coral reef, uh, reach, you know, stretch before you catch. All those little Carlinisms, I love to share those and, and get people, you know, saying them. Oh, I got a kind of a new one. It's really kind of fun. It's long on the lead arm, short on the breathe arm. And, and I was able to give that to Michael Weiss, who is a pro triathlete, and he loved that. So it helps, his, helps the lead arm from collapsing when you take a breath. So That's anyway, good. Carlinisms. <laughs> long... I called you Carolyn before. I'll blame that on that, how we'd pronounce it here in, here in Australia. So sorry about that, Carolyn. <laughs> <Hey, laughs> I'll make it up hey, for next time. When, when, when I was inducted in the Swimming Hall of Fame in 2015, they actually pronounced it right. It was John Neighbor. He got it right. But when I was inducted in the Master Swimming Hall of Fame in 2007, the uh, – the announcer did it on purpose. He he slaughtered my name about eight different ways. Carolyn Pitts, <laughs> Nelson, Carlin, Peepus, Neil, you know, and and it was really funny because uh, I think people really think that that's my name, and that's okay. You know, they're not doing it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so here it is. She drives a car. Her name is Lynn. She smokes a pipe. Carlin Pipes. <laughs> that's it. There you go. Easy to remember. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the the podcast, and uh, um, I know the the listeners of the podcast will get a whole lot out of this. I mean, I I did myself as well. So thanks for sharing 
uh, all of that. And I'm definitely going to have you back on the podcast um, in the future when you're back from all of your adventures. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. And, and if anybody is looking for an inspirational speaker, I have many uh, uplifting topics that are tied into my experience, strength and hope with swimming in life. And so I love to share that with audience of all ages. So thank you for this time. And, and after looking at the lineup of some of the people you had, Kevin, and you've had Eni, you've had some really greats on here. So I really appreciate being included in your stable of elite coaches, sharing information with everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.